We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NBA draft. The Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Florida. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right. Welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee here on Twitter Spaces just hours before the game against the Nuggets tonight. Charlotte is currently 1-4 and four on this six-game road trip and holding out hope that they get their second win tonight in Denver. We wanted to get on here and answer some questions about this team before they get like three or four days off between tonight's game and their next Lee, you've been absent for about a week or a week and a half, two weeks, whatever it may be. Can you tell the listeners about your uh, injury report? Because you are now active. You're now active. I'm I'm, I'm back active. I'm I'm out of uh, I'm out of protocol. Uh, I won't bore the listeners with, with too many details, but I did. I, I had my tonsils taken out, so it was like a very much, uh, very much a procedure that that did not allow me, unfortunately, to uh, to pod. Over the past uh, over the past couple weeks, um, it's a much more difficult surgery as an adult than it is than it is as a kid. You know, we, we survive in advance. We're back, and uh, I don't know if my voice I don't know if my voice sounds any different, but uh, I'm back on the airways, man. It feels good. I appreciate you guys holding down the fort. Yeah, you sound more mature. I, I think so. I've, I've seen some things. I've I've been through some things. You know, I'm on the other side now. Yeah, is it common for adults to do that surgery or no? No, it's not. It's something I've put off, honestly. And uh, long story short, they were just like, I just had massive tonsils, and it was like kind of a problem. It wasn't really a problem now. It could have been a problem later in life. So the sooner you get that type of stuff done, the better. So, yeah, I'm healed up, though, before Christmas. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's all you, that's all you can ask for. All right. So I'm glad you're back healthy. But before we start this, guys, if you guys like to uh, listen to our podcast, which I know you guys do, and want to know the best way to support us, go rate and review us anywhere you listen to us. That includes Apple Podcast and or Spotify. We have four listener questions here, and then obviously if we have any speaker requests as well, we will take those. So our first question, Lee, is from a longtime listener, Keith, and you can find him on Twitter at KEF underscore W. 
Barring a trade, how does JB fix the defense, change the starting lineup, alter the rotation, more zone, question mark? So, yeah, this is a question that we've been asking ourselves all season. Uh, I'm not sure there's a quick or easy fix to solving the issues for the Hornets. It's not going to happen overnight. I, I do think there's a slight, you know, a slight connection between their transition offense and pace and their lack of defense, but I think it's a much bigger issue than that. Uh, Rotation-wise, like I'm not sure what you can do to help fix the defense. Maybe I would think that Jalen McDaniels probably needs to see a little bit more minutes, uh, but I'm trying to figure out like if there's a change in the starting lineup that would really fix it all that much because if you do insert, let's say, Cody Martin for Rozier, does that change the overall impact on the defensive side for the whole game? I'm not sure that it does because you do need to play Rozier even though he's not having the greatest of stretches right now and it'd be odd to see your second highest paid player come off the bench. But, you know, just making a simple switch like that where Cody Martin is inserted into the starting lineup, you know, that's not going to solve everything. So here's a couple things that I would try and I would love to hear your thoughts about trying to fix the defense here. Number one, I know they play quite a bit of zone, but I think they need to play it more, especially when the matchup is right. We saw that on this this trip here. Our only win of this trip was against the Spurs, and we saw them play some zone in the second quarter and onwards. And for a team that doesn't shoot the three ball frequently and the matchup is right, I say you toss out the zone. It's the only win on this trip so far, and I think that played a big reason into the Charlotte's victory there. And then number two, if there's not an imposing center try and play P.J. Washington a little bit more. That allows this team to play the pick and roll a little bit more aggressively because when Plumlee is in there, you see the drop more frequently because he's not capable of getting out on the perimeter and moving his feet, and that just puts the Hornets in kind of a a bad starting point. So those are the two things that I would suggest. Lee, I don't know what your thoughts on this in in terms of uh, fixing the defense. Yeah, I I think those are some really logical suggestions. I I mean, you you kind of already hit on this, but like – from a tools-in-the-toolbox standpoint, there's just only so much you can do. There's only so many levers that JB can pull. We, I don't think we need to go into that too much. Like, we've discussed plenty of times on this pod, there are just structural roster issues that limit this team's defensive upside. There, there are also really impressive uh, roster construction pieces to this roster, which allows it to be one of the best offenses in the league. Right. Um, some of those reasons also make it just about, if not the worst defense in the entire NBA. Just for context here, the Charlotte Hornets are giving up 114 points per 100 possessions, which is 30th right now in the NBA. That, that's per cleaning the glass. Sometimes NBA.com can be a little bit different, but, but not enough to, to really make an impact. I mean, this is one of the worst defenses in the league, full stop. The Hornets are allowing tons of three-pointers in a and and, a, and below league average at stop you know at, at at stopping or deterring teams from shooting at the rim. They are also below league average in defending shots at the rim. Teams are shooting sixty five percent against the Hornets um, at the rim, and they are below average in uh, opponent field goal percentage. Thirty six percent teams are shooting against the Hornets. So the point I'm trying to make here is they allow the wrong kind of a shot, wrong kind of shot and teams are shooting a pretty decent percentage against the Hornets in those shots. I, I, I would build on your suggestion of more P.J. Washington at the five as something for J.B. 
potentially try in the starting lineup. He's been pretty he's been pretty ironclad with, with, with starting the traditional center. I mean, we, we've even seen Nick Richards get a couple starts when Plumlee's been out mm-hmm. of the lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I think any lineup you can get to that features McDaniels, Washington, Bridges, and Martin, and, and then, you know, kind of pick your – I mean, uh, ideally it's LaMelo Ball. You know, kind of pick your configuration around those four. Obviously, you can't play that all game, and that, and and again, if you're if you're facing a a, a bruising or super skilled right. uh, like supernova traditional center, then you're just shit out of luck either way. But I think those four guys offer you just a ton of defensive versatility, and, and so maybe we'll see a little bit more of that. I don't know about I don't know about I, I mean, you already kind of illustrated your hesitation with your own suggestion. I don't necessarily think moving Rozier to the bench is, is a tenable option. And, and and I also agree with you that more zone is not a bad thing. Obviously, the Hornets played so, some of the most, if not the most, zone in the NBA last year with mixed results but some success. And to your point, Richie, you'd be a little bit selective with that based on matchup and, right. and try and throw it out there a bit more. So, I mean, I think this is something we'll be talking about all season. But those are those are some of my kind of limited thoughts on the issue. Bottom line, this team just has to be sharper on their switches. They have to be, you know, better in fighting over screens, picking up in transition. Transition defense is just not a strength of this team. Playing with urgency on that end, just overall, the defense just doesn't have that type of urgency that the offensive side does. And to your point with all those stats that you rattled off on the defensive end, Hornets are allowing the highest two-point field goal percentage out of anyone in the team, anyone in the league. They've allowed the most assisted buckets on both two-point attempts and three-point attempts. They've allowed the fourth most free throw attempts, and they've allowed the most second-chance points. So there's not a lot that's going right on that end of the court, and basically you can look anywhere on the court, and they're not doing a good job at defending that type of stuff. So, yeah, yeah go ahead. Richie, I, I was just, just going to quickly say, I'm glad you mentioned it because I forgot to. Um, 27th in the league in allowing offensive rebounds to their opponents. Uh, our opponents rebound 28.6% of their misses, which is just a – and look, the, the past three seasons, we've actually been near the bottom of the league on that. But for whatever reason, and this is, I can't prove this analytically, but it feels like the offensive rebounds have been in like the most, um, you know, un, unhelpful situations as well. Like it yeah. seems like the other team gets an offensive rebound in just the worst time uh, against the Hornets in some close games this year. So I'm glad you mentioned the offensive rebounding piece. That, that has been a thorn in the Hornets side as well because when your defense is, is, is so lackluster, it just it's just disheartening when you finally do get your opponent to miss a shot and you can't corral the rebound. It just kind of is a double doozy and, and is not good for the defensive morale, I would say. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're probably just out of position and they're probably matched up on somebody different that they're not normally. Scrambling. Yeah, they're just scrambling. And a lot of the offensive rebounds come off of three-point shots. Yep. All right, next question from Cat Weasel. Who sees regular playing time first, JT Thor or Kai? I think this is a question probably better suited for you because you're big into the prospects. I don't think, obviously, either of these guys gets consistent minutes this season with Charlotte. Uh, both of these guys are very raw in different ways. Like when you think of JT and you think of Kai Jones, you just think of the fact that they have a long ways to go in developing their game. 
Kai was drafted 15, 20 spots ahead of Thor, so you probably expect Kai to be the guy that is viewed higher within the organization. But I think JT, to me, is more of a plug-and-play guy than, than Kai, just mainly because of his defensive aspects. Like, you don't have to think as hard when you're formulating, like, a lineup around JT Thor. Yeah, I, I don't know how to answer this question because it's not going to happen this season, and a lot can happen, you know, over the offseason looking into next year. I'll say JT Thor will see more consistent playing time first, but, you know, obviously Kai was drafted ahead of, of JT Thor probably for a reason within this uh, organization. So, Lee, what, what are your thoughts on this? Who, who sees more playing time first? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Thor as well. I, I mean, to this point in the season, JT Thor's played over 100 possessions. Kai Jones only played 16 possessions. So, so far, the answer is, like, unequivocally JT Thor particularly in that stretch when the Hornets were going through so much of the health and protocol issues. You know, Thor is not the exact same player, but he does bring a lot of the same qualities that Jalen McDaniels does. Jalen McDaniels is obviously a much more mature and productive player right now, but they are similar in the fact that they spread the floor. They're, they're kind of like lanky hybrid wings, and they both have a certain flavor of defensive versatility. Um, so it was kind of cool to see JT Thor just slot right in and maybe bring like, you know, 75 to 80% of what McDaniels brings. I, I, and then Richie, I know McDaniels has been a guy that you've kind of highlighted and favored in the rotation for quite some time. And I think you're being vindicated in a big way. Like if you look at all the efficiency numbers, McDaniels should be on the floor more. And, and that's not even taking into account like his, his activity on defense and, and some of the plays he makes that don't necessarily show up in the analytics. So I know we already talked about it a little bit, but I think, I think more McDaniels minutes is, is something we should and probably will see as the season continues to move along. Getting back to the question, you laid it out perfectly. Like, long-term, it's anybody's guess. And I do think Kai is, 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 a, is a more raw prospect than J.C. Thor is, even though they're both quite raw in their own right. They're both pretty young too you said it perfect I'll just end on this Thor is more of a plug-and-play guy right now and he's just he's a bit I'm not gonna say he's he has figured it out more I'm gonna say he's less (laughs) lost uh from a like a defensive rotation and kind of like an offensive structural spacing standpoint than Kai Jones is right now what would be interesting and maybe maybe uh the guy who asked the question something to look into that I have not yet is who is playing more at the G League level, and kind of what are those uh, what are those numbers uh, and comparisons look like? If, if Thor's even actually been down there at all, I'm, I'm not sure on that. I, I, I need to check. Yeah, I think Kai has played more down there, uh, but that's probably just because he's been available more down there, not because JT's just not getting yep. time. I looked at some of the statistics on Kai earlier in the season, so it could have changed between then and now. But he was fouling a lot. I mean, he was rebounding the ball, but I think one of the issues was the fouls and the turnovers were something that was big with Kai. And that just is with any young player that they're going to have to overcome that type of stuff. And I didn't know a lot about these guys coming into the draft because I'm just not a draft junkie like you are. And I I always thought that JT was like a four slash five, but to me he's more like a three slash four. Like, would would you agree with that? Because I don't think JT Thor is going to be playing center in the NBA and I think that might bode well for him in terms of his playtime because of all those bodies that we have at that five position. No, completely agree. I would characterize 
Kai Jones is a four slash five and JT Thor is a three slash four. I mean, maybe in the future, you know, de- you know, three years down the road, like, would I be completely shocked to see maybe, you know, if he develops in a positive way and, and he's like a real NBA rotational player, like JT Thor at the five for like some small ball stuff wouldn't necessarily be out of the question, but I, I very much view him as a three, four. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, so we got two more questions here, and then obviously if there's anyone in Twitter spaces that would like to speak up, we would gladly appreciate that. So the next question is from at three underscore stings. Is P.J. Washington on the roster at the end of the season? Seems like he has to be included in any deal we make. And I, I would agree that P.J. is probably the number one guy that opposing or other teams are looking at when it comes to a trade especially a trade that's worthwhile, like not one of these lower tier trades. If Mitch is able to pull off some kind of deal for like a Miles Turner and he doesn't give up P.J. Washington, which would almost certainly mean that Plumlee or Oubre is gone in the opposite direction, we would definitely have to give Cupcheck a raise here because I don't think there's any way that <laughs> you trade for Miles Turner without having to give up someone like P.J. Washington. I know Spencer on this pod thinks that there's going to be a trade, I'm like split. I'm not as confident that a trade will go down or at least not one that's a big needle mover type. So to answer this question, I will go out on a limb and say that PJ Washington is still on this roster by the end of the season. I just think that this organization has invested too much in him and he's proving to be very valuable for this center rotation because he offers things 
at that five position that none of the other fives can say. Like, he's the only center on this roster that gives this team some kind of flexibility and versatility in how they defend pick and rolls. He's obviously very versatile on the offensive end of the court. His only downfall, or maybe his biggest downfall, is the fact that when there are imposing centers, he can't always bruise them and beat them off the block and make sure that they don't get open shots at the rim, and he tends to foul a little bit more. But I will say that P.J. is still on the roster by the end of the season, and that probably suggests that I also think that a trade for someone like a Miles Turner might not go down. Yeah, so, I mean, I hate to keep agreeing with you here, Rich. It doesn't necessarily make for great radio, but um, I, I tend to agree. Like, and, and, but, but I have mixed emotions here because another thing I will say is that I have warmed to the idea of involving P.J. Washington in, in a trade for Miles Turner. That was something I was like, I was objectively, like, like abjectively against it. Maybe, I don't know, three to four months ago. And just kind of watching the defensive structural issues, uh, the rebounding, not, not that Miles Turner is necessarily a great rebounder, but he is, he is a pretty effective rim protector. And I think he brings not all of the offensive qualities that TJ Washington does, but, but, but a good, a good amount of them. We've talked about how he's not like a massive kind of like pick and roll lob threat, but he can stretch the floor. Um, and, and obviously he blocks a ton of shots, which is something the Hornets just don't really have on this roster. So, you know, I'm kind of split on this one. Unfortunately, it's like yes, I'm more, um, I'm more um, open. You know, oh yes, thank you. I'm more open to making the move, but I'm still pretty uh, pessimistic that it'll actually happen. I think Mitch, JB, this front office, this coaching staff, just kind of the entire like leadership apparatus is still fairly uh, aware of the fact that I think even though we've been a little bit mired with like actual expectation now, I think if you zoom out and, and you take like the full picture in view, this team is still ahead of schedule. And this team has still kind of uh, really hit on some really important kind of roster construction decisions. The Oubre thing is an interesting one. I'll just hit on that like quickly. I mean, he's got a fairly movable contract. He is, having a career year by uh, leaps and bounds from an offensive efficiency standpoint. I mean, I mean, Kelly Oubre right now is shooting 55, 55% effective field goal percentage, which is like 80th percentile for his, for his um, position. He's shooting 38% on the biggest volume of his career from three. That's career highs on volume and percentage makes. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's only um, – He's only 26, or he's just about to turn 26 years old. Like, it kind of blew my mind when I realized that Cody Martin is older than Kelly Oubre. So, <laughs> so maybe, that's, maybe that's, like, kind of a feather in the cap against, against what I'm saying because Kelly Oubre still is very much kind of moving into the prime of his career age-wise. But I do, in the back of my mind, there is a little bit of, like, sell high potential here just because yeah, he is yeah, shooting yeah. the ball so well right now. You, you know, you either make the argument that he's just developing as a player. This is who he is going forward and that he's playing in a better situation with an awesome point guard that puts him, that gets him open shots. Or you look at it in kind of more of the half glass empty view and you say, you know, this guy is on a, on a three month hot streak 
maybe we can convince someone they're a Kelly Oubre away from winning a championship and, and kind of improving the roster construction um, in, in some meaningful way. So I, I've kind of like um, my, my antennas are up on, on an Oubre move more than they were maybe, I don't know, two months ago. And I think his contract, like you mentioned, is very movable. Um, and I, I want to say very his, manageable. Yeah, his contract for next year is either partially guaranteed or just fully. I, I don't. I can't remember the the people that we signed over the off season. Like I feel like the contracts that we got them all are very movable. And then moving into next year, like I said, like Ishmith and Plumley and Ubre have some kind of like non guarantee next year. So if you look at it that way, that, that yeah, makes, yeah, Ubre is uh, twenty two, twenty three is partially guaranteed. Okay. That's correct. Okay. And then back to your point about P.J. Washington um, in terms of whether or not he's going to be on the roster at the end of the season before we move on to the last question here. It's one of those things, too, where P.J. Washington, you don't really anticipate this guy, unless he's your full-time starter at the five, really starting you know, with Miles Bridges on this roster. And I think originally when both of these guys were drafted in back-to-back years, everyone was talking about how they are too redundant. And I don't think they're necessarily too redundant, but I do think that P.J. Washington is going to have a hard time finding his way back into the starting lineup unless he becomes that full-time five, which in certain situations, it's just not going to work out that way. So would it be better to sell off P.J. right now in a sense because he's not going to crack into that starting lineup probably on a consistent basis? Maybe. But to answer the question, like I said, I, I do think that they've invested too much in this guy and that he will be on the roster by the end of this season. Yeah, and look, P.J. shooting over 40% from three yeah. uh, for the second year in a row. And, and the other thing about moving P.J., and I know the Miles Turner deal is kind of on everyone's mind, but you have to acquire a center if you're moving PJ because Correct. you know th- those are just the most productive minutes. Uh, they're not quite as productive as last year, but they're still the most productive center minutes by far on this team. Uh, besides Bridges, actually, but that that's kind of a little bit of small sample size theater, even though it's been an awesome lineup for the Hornets. Yeah, and the Miles Bridges at the five is very very situational too. So, all right, totally, totally. Last question, and I don't really have any thoughts on this question. Um, it says or it's from Reggie, Helton underscore Reggie on Twitter. What are the Hornets' most tradable non-draft capital assets? And I'm assuming we're eliminating LaMelo and Miles Bridges from this because if we're not, then those are, you know, one and two. But let's just say we take out LaMelo, we take out Miles Bridges. Let's rank our top three assets on this roster in terms of what these players could potentially bring back in a trade and I think number one is the guy that we've been talking about for the last five, ten minutes is P.J. Washington. And then at two and three, this is kind of where I, I waver back and forth. I want to say two, James Booknight, three, Kelly Oubre. Uh, but I think it's also dependent on the team that you're trading for. I think, you know, with Booknight, you know, maybe if he's going to a younger team that's rebuilding, he might have more value. And then Oubre, who's going to a contender, a team that's pushing for the playoffs, he might have more value, and maybe you move him up to the number two spot on the most tradable players on this roster. What are I mean? What other players on this roster do you think have trade value uh, when you consider their play, when you consider their salary as well? How first off, how would you rank it? I, I did PJ. I'll go PJ one, yep. Book Knight two, Ubre three. But two and three to me feel like they can flip. Yeah, I I would probably go. I, I think PJ is number one. I mean. If you trade for P.J. Washington at the deadline, you get him for the rest of this year, 
And then you also get him next year on a team option for $5.8 million. That, that is, that is ridiculously cheap for, you know, a fringe starting, uh, you know, power forward center that shoots 40% from the three and does the things that PJ Washington does. Now you're going to have to talk about re-signing him. Obviously, if you, if you trade for him, particularly if you're giving up, you know, a, a decent amount of uh, assets on the other end of that trade. But I think PJ is just, he's number one. I would actually say Ubre second, okay. just because, uh, and, and I do think, I do think book Knight's helped himself a lot. I mean, I mean, the results are certainly mixed. He's done, he's done some really great things. He's done some other things that are a bit concerning, but just on net, like over the past, you know, three weeks, I think book Knight's value has absolutely gone up. I think the Hornets would very much like to hang on to James book Knight. I mean, obviously they, they, <laughs> they, they were thrilled, you know, they were thrilled that he kind of, you know, quote unquote fell down to them in the draft a guy that they identified that they really liked. You know, uh, Kupchak has done a pretty good job drafting in Charlotte and, and had conviction on book night. So I think his value has gone up. I, I, I just think that the Hornets will do just about anything they can to hang on to their lottery pick from this past summer. The, other than that, you know, I, you would say Cody Martin, but the problem with, I mean, Cody Martin's an expiring contract. I mean, a couple of things. Cody Martin, number one, is just way too valuable to this team right, right now. Right, right. Number n- number two, like if you trade for him, y- y- you're pretty much either accepting the fact that you're like renting him for half a season, or that you're going to resign him. So I-, I just think that takes him out of the conversation for a couple different reasons. What do you think about Vernon Carey? McDan- what do you think? Oh yeah, McDan- McDaniel's is up there. McDaniel's is up there. Yep. McDaniel's is up there, particularly because um, I mean, number one, he's looked he's looked pretty awesome. Number two. He, I mean, he only makes $1.9 million next year. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's a cheap ad. I, again, I think he's kind of in the Martin boat. Like the Hornets just, I think you'd have to really entice them to, to include Jalen McDaniels um, in a deal. The, the, the two that we didn't mention that I don't think are one, two, or three, but are, are a little interesting to talk about, you know, I could definitely see Mason Plumlee being kind of like yeah. salary filler in a trade. I, I don't think he necessarily has a ton of value, but I, I believe that if the Hornets are going after someone like Miles Turner from a salary standpoint, he's likely going to have to be included. And then, I, I mean, look, like Gordon Hayward has a lot more trade value than he did when the Hornets signed him two summers ago, in my opinion. Obviously, he just has a massive contract, and uh, I don't I don't think the Hornets want to move him. Yeah, and he's got that trade kicker, which I talked about on the previous podcast. True, um, good point, good point. We do have a speaker request, which I do want to get to here. Hoop Journal, yeah. thoughts? Yeah, going back to what you guys I think Hayward is probably the biggest trade asset, honestly. I think you guys forget about Hayward. No, I was going to say, I mean, that I did. I, that's why I was like bringing him up right at the end there, because, I mean, look, he, he, he's got the trade kicker that Richie just mentioned, which, which creates some challenges or, or, or hesitation, however you want to put it. He's got, you know, he's, he's got his health concerns. Um, but, but look, this year he's, and I'm knocking on wood as I say this, everybody, and like doing a voodoo dance and a rain dance and all that. But um, he, he's, he's been healthy this year and has, has played quite well. And, and, and he's got a massive contract. I mean, he's, 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 he's 30 million next year and he's 31 million in 23, 24. So that's, what, uh, that's why I don't think it's as know, tradable though. Like, like yeah. the question is who is the most tradable? Like, yeah, he has trade value, but in terms of the tradeability of this guy because of the contract, it does make it a little bit difficult. It certainly yeah. makes it difficult, but he's got, he's definitely got value on the market. I, I agree with that. Journal for sure. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. PJ is definitely easier to trade, like you said, because that salary. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like in terms of what you would get back. I think you know Hayward would get you more. Yeah, and I, I think there's been that's a fair. couple that's fair. couple rumors out there that involved Hayward, but I think I'm so hesitant on whether or not a trade is going to happen or not. And we talk about how hard this first half of the schedule has been for the Hornets. And it does ease up a little bit when we come into January. And you wonder if the Hornets start to pick up a little bit of steam in the new year, do they kind of reconsider whether or not it makes sense to trade PJ? And I think maybe that could come into question. When exactly is the trade deadline? Do we know? Like the actual date? Uh, Let's see here. I want to say February 10th, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure either. Oh, uh, yeah, Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. That's crap. All right, mark it down. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I think, you know, with, with all this uh, health and protocol stuff, like like trade talk has kind of come to a screeching halt just because so many teams are missing players. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting to note that, like, the Hornets have kind of gone through that already. So, yeah. knock on wood, we're, we're, we're mostly through that, hopefully. And like you just mentioned, Richie, you know the Hornets have had the Hornets have had one of, if not the toughest schedule in the NBA. So you know, and, and we've got it. We've played a, we've played a ton of road games too. The Hornets end the season with a majority of their games at home. So you, you like to think they can make a nice push if they can if they can just somewhat figure out some of this defensive struggles. Yeah, I just checked dunksandthrees.com, and in terms of strength of schedule, they have Hornets at the second toughest schedule right behind. There you go. Orlando. There you go. So, all right, any other uh, thoughts, Hoop Journal, before we wrap here? Because we do have to wrap in about a minute or two. No, I just wanted to chime in with that real quick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks sp- for coming up, man. Yeah, we always appreciate any speaker request. If we feel up for it, or if I feel up for it, I don't know about you, Lee, I may come on Twitter spaces after the Nuggets game. I do think that this game feels more winnable, obviously, than the Suns and the Jazz, not just because they are a lesser team than those two, but they're also coming off a back-to-back. Although I will say this, I watched the game this morning, and Jokic did not play in the fourth quarter versus OKC. Played, I think, just like 25 minutes or so. So I don't know if that was strategic or if they were just kind of riding the hot hand. I haven't watched a ton of Nuggets basketball, but uh, their offense... Last night against the Thunder didn't look all that inspiring, especially against a team like the Thunder. We all know that Charlotte has to be sound and and good on the defensive side of the court, which has been hard to come by, uh, especially when they have those cutters and Jokic can just pass the ball with the best of them. So we will keep you guys posted uh, whether or not we do a post-game recap here on Twitter Spaces. But thanks again for everyone for tuning in. For Lee, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time. the Hornets are going to win. The Hornets stride into Ball Arena and rip one away from the Nuggets. What a ball game. That saves the road trip, Del. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You go back home now with some swagger, some confidence, momentum. And this this is a tight-knit group. They don't care who gets the job done. All right, guys, good morning and welcome to another Twitter Spaces edition of BuzzBeat. I'm Richie and I'm joined by Spencer and Brian on this Christmas Eve. We appreciate all those that have joined live this morning. Spencer, how's it going? Going good. Um, Christmas Eve, I got a little cold, which I'm sure you can tell. I am COVID negative, (laughs) so that's not the problem. Uh, So, yeah, it's going great up in Virginia Beach, seeing my wife's family. Um, Yeah, so that was fun last night, right before I went to sleep. 
seeing the Hornets come back. And that, that felt, you know, there's a few games, I think the Sacramento game before they went out West felt really important. I think this one may be even, even more important. It wasn't a must win for Charlotte, but really feels like that salvaged what could have been a little bit of a downhill slide. Um, what, what a comeback. Ryan, how you doing? Yeah, same here. Um, I am uh, huddled up with a little couple family members for the holiday and, um, yeah, just trying to keep everyone safe as much as possible while still doing stuff here. And, uh, and really did enjoy the, uh, the, um, the win last night for Charlotte. I finished it up. I watched like half of it last night, half this morning. Yeah. I agree with what Spencer said in part because it feels like they, yeah, they lost, they've lost a couple games recently that they should have had like Portland, maybe certainly Portland, maybe the Dallas game without Luca. And like this win kind of makes up for that. Like it kind of gets you one of those games back, which is nice to be Jokic in Denver. Um, You know, even without Jamal Murray, I mean, you don't take that. Don't take those kind of wins lightly. So solid win and ready for Charlotte to get back to the, uh, the East coast here. Yeah, exactly. After this six game road trip. So in the first half of this episode, Lee and I took a couple of questions from our listeners Right now, Spencer and Brian and myself are going to break down the win in Denver from last night. Hornets won 115-107 to bring their record to 2-4 and four on this road trip, and they are headed back home on Monday. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time, but thought we'd talk a little bit about this game and taking a request from our listeners here in Twitter Spaces. And just to kind of give a quick rundown of how last night's game went down, uh, it started off pretty promising for the Hornets as they got up to a 20-9 lead. Uh, Then Denver took the momentum back as Jokic actually went to the bench, and that's when Denver made their run. The Nuggets were pretty much in control of this game from the second quarter onwards until about the last couple of minutes of the third quarter. Um, Maybe there was a little bit of hope, but it was a 17-point lead heading into that final quarter. And that's when Ish and Ubre and PJ took over, and the Hornets outscored the Nuggets 38-13 for this much-needed win, as Brian and Spencer were alluding to. So uh, let's just kind of highlight some of the positives here or any negatives that you do want to bring up. I know it's Christmas Eve. We can maybe just focus on the positives, but uh, there are definitely some negatives and things that we could have focused on had the Hornets lost in this game. But I do want to bring up PJ Washington and Brian, I know that you do as well because you're just a, a big proponent of him playing more minutes. And I think his minutes last night in for Plumley was really the game changer there in terms of what he brought to this team. I think when we mentioned the frustration with Mason Plumley, this game is just another prime example of some of his downfalls. Now, I don't think Plumley has been as bad as fans have been making it out to be, but there's definitely some overreactions there. But he offered nothing last night. Once when PJ was on the court, you saw the spacing on the offensive side. He held his own and trying to body Jokic down low in the post as much as he could. And you can't forget about his playmaking as well. I think that's something that goes overlooked at times with his game. And in my, in my opinion, uh, I think the best play from him last night was in the fourth quarter, about a minute to go, he had hit three three-pointers from basically the same spot. And he got a pass I think it was like off of a Spain look. I can't remember exactly, but Jeff Green closed out hard. He dribbled with his left hand, hit Jalen with a live dribble pass all in one motion. So good stuff from PJ last night. 
And it's it's these types of performances, I think, that make you kind of reconsider uh, him when it comes to some of these trade talks. So PJ Washington is definitely one player I would like to highlight. Yeah, the um, the block he had one on one in the post against Jokic that Jalen then swooped in and saved was just an awesome play. But this, these are the advantages you see of having a guy like PJ that can switch, right? And he and they were Charlotte was very comfortable switching PJ onto Denver's guards last night. Sort of one of their downfalls of not having Jamal Murray. You know, they don't have a just a, like an A one switch beater at the guard position and more. Rivers composite, so it's not just those are like good NBA players. It's not the same thing. And then with PJ's ability to stretch and shoot from the slots, or shoot from above the break, and then also make passes out of those looks. Um, you were alluding to the playmaking, but he had another pick and pop look. Denver was in drop. They rotated behind the play. He then swung it to the the weak side corner. I think it was an Ubre three. Um, he uh, the horns look with PJ at the elbow. Throw it to him. Dribble handoff with Ubre. That's a design play they've run pretty successfully this season. Ubre hits the three, gets the four point play out of that look, and you could just see different coverages that Denver tried to use with Jokic. And like this is this will be the challenge for Denver, like as they try to build a title team for years to come around. Jokic is like, you know, they try to bring him to the level of the screen, right? And Charlotte is able to turn the corner at times in that game. They try to switch but then that puts Jokic on some of Charlotte's guards. That leads to other issues. Then later, you know, it's if there's a ball, side ball screen, Denver ices, or there's a drop, and you just really can't do that against P.J. when he's rolling like that. And P.J. got a couple good looks from deep off that or catch, make the extra pass, got a second side look off of it. Um, so, yeah, P.J. was phenomenal in this game. And I just thought, you know, you, you touched on Oubre too. You know, he's streaky. It doesn't feel like you can kind of count on his scoring outburst every night, and he's had some some bad games during the road trip. But um, he gave them some some offensive punch when they needed it last night, and I think that fired him up defensively. Um, but why don't we should probably hit on, and, and I'll flip it to Spencer here, because uh, the guy that really was a kickstarter for Charlotte last night, this fourth-quarter comeback, what, what zero combined minutes between Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball? Yeah. And I mean, a big part of it was because of um, Ish Smith. Yeah, plus 27 in 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> for Ish. I mean, like, completely flipped this game. Uh, and it, I mean, obviously, it starts with Ish's ability to just put pressure, you know, on the defense yeah. by being able yeah. to get into the paint and at the rim. I mean, off the pick and roll, he's getting in there off transition, he's beating guys down the floor. He's getting along the baseline and just forcing rotations. I mean, that's what turned the game. But as I rewatched the fourth quarter this morning, I, I and this is something I've been thinking about with this team. I think what they're missing most is an, is number one, like an alpha who's also a leader, like leads by example, a guy that's going to bring the energy all the time. We just watch these games from Charlotte, and this is mostly youth, where they're just flat, and, and, and there's not a guy I think this team can always turn to and <clears> – <throat> come in and change the energy last night ish did that i mean he's gonna give up buckets defensively he's you know offenses are gonna hunt him constantly uh try to get him around the block and and denver did last night but i really think ish turned this game more so than what he brought offensively was just his effort level Mm -hmm. um because it it bled over to uber who had four steals some some huge ripaways in the fourth quarter uh mcdaniels obviously some big plays down the stretch i mean you you referenced that block um, that he made uh, helping PJ on Jokic. So I just thought that 
that energy level bled into everything that led to this incredible Charlotte comeback. Uh, so yeah, props to Ish Smith. You can't use him every night. And we should, we should say this too. Credit JB for, for playing that card because it would have been easy, you know, to, to ride LaMelo the whole fourth quarter or bring him back in, you know, mid late fourth quarter and, and finish there. But he left this lineup out there and, and let, and let Ish, you know, finish this game. He's, um, so he's shown JB the, he's shown decision. He's shown the willingness to do that a bu- yeah. like for years now too. Like that's not even like a new thing with yeah, Ray. yeah. He'll, you know, he'll ride he's the shown, You know he'll he'll do that. I can I can even think of two three seasons ago that being a, a tendency of his. Um, but yeah, it, so if I felt like I was just seeing like an old episode that I've seen a couple of times before last night where. Yeah, you know, they think they won a game earlier this year where Bridges and LaMelo didn't play at all in the fourth quarter too. Um just because Ish and the you know, these sort of like lineups that are a smattering of bench and starters were hot and yeah, Brega will will absolutely continue to go with those go with those crews. And I think I think Miles Bridges is trying to become the guy that is like the one as far as like the younger guys go is sort of like a lead with example kind of guy too but maybe hasn't fully gotten there yet. But I, I feel like he's like trying those, those like that pair of shoes on this season. Yeah. Um, come. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah he said they're young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, it just gives that to this team. And again, it's not going to happen every night, but again, I, I think JB it's worth talking about leaving him in. Like you said, Brian, he's willing to do that with, with certain lineups, certain players when, when they're hot, but just to go to ish, you know, from the beginning, you know, late in the game, just be like, we got to try something different. Yeah. Like yeah. we saw a lot of Hayward at point last night, which we haven't seen much this year. I thought the return on that was okay. I mean, but you're just, you know, Hayward, Miles, Jay, McDaniels, it doesn't matter. You're driving against a loaded defense when you got a guy like Hayward or Miles running the point who are not going to put pressure on the rim in the same way that Ish Smith would. So, anyways, credit Barreto for for switching it up, and I think it I think it led to a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play his first minute until three minutes left in the third quarter. Ended up playing the whole fourth <laughs> quarter, but it, it it's the same formula with Ish in terms of like when he has a good game, it's all about the driving, the drawing, and the extra defenders making the kickout pass, making the dump off pass, and he on top of that, he had his shot falling as well. So he might not have been the best player for Charlotte last night, but they don't win this game without his energy that he brought. Uh, we do have a speaker request from Mick. Mick, do you have a question? Hey, Richie, I got a question for you. Uh, I want to know, is there another coach in the NBA that actually closes out games without his starters? I I, I love it. I think Bragg is a genius. I just, I, I've never seen it. You don't see uh, Yeah, you really don't see it often. That's a great question. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I don't know, BG. I, I think this is becoming more common in the NBA, I, I think yeah. that you had an old school line of coaches that, and we saw this with Clifford, right? I mean, it didn't matter who was hot that night. <laughs> you could go down the script and see who was coming in at one point in the game, when Kimball was coming out, when he was coming back in. So I think this is um, this is more of a new age coach kind of yeah. thing. You see it more across the league. It feels like something I could have, um, I, and forgive me if I'm possibly speaking out of step here, but given the like Spurs culture of – uh, you know, collective, right? And, and you know, going with what you got. Um, I don't know, maybe this is even something that Brago picked up. And clearly his time working with Greg Popovich influenced him pretty significantly. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that maybe he 
um, philosophically sort of like grabbed, um, if not maybe like directly from the Spurs, but sort of piece, even more starter doesn't mean it's when it's not your night, you know, you got to be there and just, you know, someone else has to step up, but then you've got to be able to like be cool with that and support them and then get ready to come out and do your thing again the next night. So maybe it's something sort of borrowed from that to an extent. But I think what's cool too, is like you saw on the bench, like Lamelo's not pouting, like he's into the game. Ish no. Smith at that corner three and he's just going ballistic on the sidelines. So same with miles too. Yeah. With, same miles. with miles. So like they're into yeah. the game um, and they, they obviously want to win more than they want to play, you know what I mean? So I think that JB has also developed this relationship with these players that they know that if they're playing the hot hand, it may not be them every night. It may be Jalen mm-hmm. McDaniels and Ish Smith and Ubre versus Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball. But the fact that they're still into the game, you know, so to speak, is, is another good sign as well. I, I, I just, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second here. Do we? Do you ever think that sometimes in the fourth quarter, some of these situations are, and I don't want to say an indictment, but Lamelo, I've noticed, especially early in the season, tends to lose some fourth quarter minutes periodically, maybe once every three games. Do we ever think that it's an indictment on him defensively? At this point in Lamelo's career, he's not a good defender. You know, will will he ever be a good defender? We'll see. So I think that that's been a reoccurring theme. But <clears throat> I think the other part of your question, Mick, is last night Brago's playing the hot hand. I don't think it's really an indictment on LaMelo, but we talked about this when Charlotte lost Devontae Graham is that there was going to be some struggles late in the game when LaMelo is the conductor of offense because teams are going to continue to force him to prove it from deep. And his shot selection, although he's shooting the ball a lot better than we thought, you know, at this point in his career, shot selection still a little choppy. So I think Borrego, to answer your question in long-winded way here, I think that he is – more willing to try something else late in games than maybe your average coach with a young superstar in the league would be. But like Richie said, these guys are connected. They're all into it. I think it's a culture they understand. If if they're not playing well that night, they're turning the ball over. If they're not playing with energy, they might be sitting down next to him on the bench in the fourth quarter, and he's going to play who it takes to win. So I think there's a few factors in play here. All right, I want to bring up one more point or one more player here. Uh, we're probably going to wrap the next five minutes or so. Um, I want to connect Ish Smith to Jalen McDaniels because Ish Smith was, like you said, plus 27 and 15 minutes of play. But there was also the closing lineup that I want to mention where they were a plus 20 and nine minutes of play, which is just ridiculous. And McDaniels was a part of that. And I think most people, when you think about this game from last night, you're going to bring up PJ, you're going to bring up Ubre, you're going to bring up Ish Smith as the top three guys that turned the tide in this game. But McDaniels was right up there. Uh, he did his usual stuff with his cutting, his hustling after 50-50 balls, had several nice dunks as well. You know, I talked about this in the first half of the podcast with Lee, but I think his length and his presence on the defensive side of the court should like earn him more playing time. Just because he does enough on the offensive side of the court, um, that's going to warrant him more playing time. So I did not want to forget uh, to talk about Jalen McDaniels as well because he's been um, pretty good um, in Cody Martin's absence. And I would hope when Cody Martin returns, Jalen still keeps those minutes up. I don't know who it comes at the expense of, but McDaniels I feel like needs to be a little bit heavier part of this rotation. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this with Jalen. I think going back to even maybe before the season started, just like he's probably got a guy that has to be in the rotation 
hoping, you know, Charlotte makes a run for the postseason too because um, his defense and his length and his versatility, like Charlotte does not have many plus perimeter defenders and Jalen can do that and he can make a shot too, right? And he can guard a bunch of different positions and when Charlotte wants to switch and play zone as well, then his length and his versatility and his activity are really good. He had a nice game at Utah. Uh, the other night too yep, it was like yep. one of the few bright spots, which I'm guessing is why Richie, you and you and Lee sort of decided to touch on him. I've said this a bunch about McDaniel's the last two seasons. You saw it again last night offensively. He's just such a solid fourth or fifth option, um, because you want him out there for his defense, but he can do a lot of stuff as like a low usage three and D type player except he can also, he's not completely static. He doesn't just chill in the corners. Like he's an excellent baseline cutter. And you saw that on a couple of cut finishes he had last night. Um, I know there was one lob that Rozier hit him on, um, but he's just so good sneaking along that baseline um, when Charlotte gets a little advantage created, right? Or gets into those four on threes or forces the defense to rotate. McDaniels is really solid at creeping along the baseline and getting to the rim and he can throw it down with some, with some pop. Like he put one on top of Jokic last night. So uh, I like Jalen because he doesn't try to do too much offensively. He's willing to buy into his role and then you get him out there for his defense and he can really help you on that end of the court again, because he can guard basically, you know, he can guard four positions without Charlotte switches. He can basically guard five and um, he can guard on the basketball. We've seen some of the weak side rim protection and also his ability to get into passing lanes. Like he's just, he's impactful. Um, And yeah, he's got to be, he guys like he and when Cody Martin gets back, like Charlotte's making a run, hopefully getting to the postseason or the play-in or whatever. Like those guys have got to have a role. Um, I think at least for the regular season, like where those minutes come from, you just, you know, Miles has been playing so much. Hayward's been playing big minutes. You just find you you just carve out a little bit here and there from those guys. You know, I, I think is like maybe the way the way to do it, or you get yeah. you know creative and you take them away from Plumley to an extent, right? You play just like even fewer minutes with like a traditional <laughs> five on the court, and you know you play minutes with McDaniel's or Bridges as like the de facto center, or Hayward as the de facto de facto center, you know, like just go all in on, on having speed and skill and offense on the court as opposed to Plumley, who, you know, certainly has some advantages and you want him for certain matchups, but he's such a liability on offense. And so yeah. that's maybe another way you can just carve out extra time for those two guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm most impressed McDaniels, his weak side rim protection. You brought it up, BG, like yeah. PJ can hold up. I mean, he did a pretty good job against Jokic last night, and if you just hold up physically long enough, McDaniel's is a very attuned, aware, weak side defender. Who's we know how long he is, and, and the difference he can make coming, you know, cleaning stuff up at the rim. So, yeah, I, he's one of the most important players for Charlotte. I think down the stretch. I mean, he just, I, I think he literally as a chess piece, he might be the most versatile player on this roster in terms of how many different lineup configurations he can play in. You know, so he's a huge tool for JB in that way. But um, I think he has to play. I don't know at whose expense, Richie. Yeah, um, you know, know, Brian, I've, I've been thinking, you know, we need to at some point start reeling back Hayward's minutes. Uh, I think we're – I mean, he, he has no left right now. Uh, I mean, he looks a little worn physically to me, which is to be expected. Like, he's played almost every game this season. Um, yeah, all got, but one. All but one, you know, and he's got a lot of miles on, on – 
got a lot of tread off the tires here um, early in the season. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think we got we got to start reeling back those minutes and, and hunt of the playoffs. But the last point, you know, I wanted to, to bring up is I think if I'm Borrego right now, <clears throat> pull these guys together, 17 and 17 through 34 games, we have an identity. We know what we want to do. We know who we are offensively. We know we want to play fast. We've talked about all this stuff, but we're last in defense. And do we have some deficiencies that we can't completely cover up? Yes, yeah. we do. We're not a very big team. We don't have a true center. We, we know we're going to have those challenges night to night. But if we've got to bring a more consistent effort on that end because if, we, if this team doesn't improve defensively, 500, that is the ceiling. I mean, they just if, – if you're going to be last in defense, it doesn't matter if you're first in offense. You're not going to win basketball games. So that's got to be for this team. We'll see what they do at the deadline. But I, I'm really focusing in now that we've gotten the two West Coast trips out of the way. You survived them. You're 500. The schedule's about to get softer. we got to see more effort on the defensive end. I, I mean, this team's ready to win in a lot of ways, but they're not going to if if we see – effort every other fourth quarter right when they're trying to make these 15 point comebacks we got to get out of that habit so that's i don't know i that's what i want to kind of take us out on i think that needs to be brego's charge to this team because it they're capable of doing it i mean we saw it in the fourth quarter i know it's basically five on one with Jokic playing with man seems like a bunch of guys that shouldn't be in the nba at this point (laughs) but uh still i mean charlotte charlotte can make things easier on themselves a little more consistent effort all right, I do want to read a review before we get out of here, but thanks to everyone on Twitter Spaces that joined us today. Uh, this will release as a podcast version. Uh, it'll actually be about 50 minutes because there was a 30-minute conversation yesterday that we had with Lee and myself. Tack it on to this. It's about 50 minutes, so if you guys have some running around to do, driving around on Christmas Eve, you guys can listen to us. But got this review yesterday, made us feel awesome uh, when we read it, said the best Hornets podcast, and it says this. This is the most detailed and informative podcast out there about the Charlotte Hornets. Each of the four hosts are well-prepared and deliver excellent analysis. They also do a great job of interacting with listeners and inviting them to join in on the conversations. I learn a ton each episode and cannot recommend this podcast enough to anyone interested in Charlotte basketball. Very thankful I came across this show. So we're very thankful for you guys. Oh, we got one more request. I can't let this pass, guys. This is uh, Ryan is going to connect with us real quick. Fifth Factor, you got a comment? Hey, Richie, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Um, kind of interesting to think about wrapping up the season and being like, you know, finish those road trips, you know, rest of the season going forward. How would you guys revise your over-under for the, you know, on the season? Or do you expect like sixth place, seventh place, win totals, et cetera? Okay. Okay. So revise our predictions from preseason. I I mentioned this, I mentioned this either with Lee yesterday on a previous pod. I still think that they're going to finish in eighth place. I think that was my preseason prediction. Um, I would hope that if they just kind of kept things the same, that they would still make the playoffs regardless. They went out and made a move. Maybe they could propel themselves up to like seventh or sixth. Uh, but I think that's probably the range six to six to ninth is kind of where I'm looking at for this Charlotte team. So BG and Spencer, let's just wrap here. Do you think that your preseason expectations have changed at all? Uh, especially with the, the schedule kind of easing up a little bit or no? Yeah. I mean, to be 500 through 34 games, 
with the schedule that they had, I mean, I, I think I do expect this team to finish above 500 now. <clears throat> um, strictly off and just strict the schedule, it gets a lot softer. So, right. yeah, I mean, I think 43, 40, 43 to 46, probably the range that I'm expecting. And I think they can get into the top eight. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely have to. I think I was a little lower on Charlotte heading into the season, thought them more as like 9, 10, maybe even 11, out just outside the, the play-in scenario. Now I think they have an outside shot at 6. I do think 6 is like up for grabs, especially if Philly doesn't make a move with Simmons at some point. Um, you know, Washington sliding a little bit. That spot's still available. Mm-hmm. So, But I think they're more in the 7 or 8 range, and – yeah, I just didn't think the offense was going to be as good as it has been. I mean, I didn't think they were going to have a top five offense in the league this year. We'll see if that continues to hold up or whatever. Um, but maybe if the defense improves a little bit too, you know, we'll see what they do at the around the deadline if they go big or small or do anything at all. But I, I do think yes, they have they have exceeded my expectations thus far, even with some of these frustrating losses, and um, and a lot of that has to do with. Obviously, guys making jumps, Lamelo, Bridges, getting contributions. Cody Martin certainly too, getting contributions from uh, guys like McDaniel's. But considering how much they've been hit by injuries and COVID, guys having to miss games, the fact that they're in this point, even with that crappy defense, is still pretty impressive. And maybe they'll even go to more of the zone. Um, Richie, you and I talked about this yeah. a couple weeks ago. The zone has been quite good for them this year, but perhaps they do see a point of diminishing returns with that. Either way, um, I think they've exceeded expectations thus far, and I'd have to amend my preseason outlook on them. Thanks for Brian. Thanks for Spencer. Thanks for everyone for joining us today. Uh, we will talk to you guys later. Go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.